Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Des Moines Register for Wednesday, May 6, 2020. I'm your reader, Paula Carezzi. Things are changing very quickly, and Iris wants to make sure we provide our listeners with as much local information as we can. In order to do that, we've changed our program schedule completely. This schedule will air statewide on all platforms until further notice. We will also include information about resources in your community during each paper. You'll still hear your Des Moines Register each day at 9 a.m., 6 p.m., and 1 a.m. Please listen closely to the following changes for all other newspapers. The Fort Dodge Messenger will be read at 7 a.m., Monday through Friday. The Mason City Globe Gazette will be read at 8 a.m., Monday through Friday. Your Des Moines Register will continue to be read from 9 a.m. to noon. The Cedar Rapids Gazette will be read at noon, seven days a week. The Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier will be read at 1 p.m., seven days a week. The Dubuque Telegraph Herald will be read at 2 p.m., Monday through Friday. The Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil will be read at 3 p.m., Monday through Friday. The Sioux City Journal will be read at 4 p.m., seven days a week. The Ames Tribune will be read at 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. And the Midweek Shopping Cart will be read each Wednesday at 9 p.m. Recordings of all newspapers will be available on our podcast page. Just go to iowaradioreading.org. Click Listen Now, then click Listen to Iris Podcasts. The papers are organized by region. Each paper will be available for seven days. Keep yourself safe, and thank you for listening. In today's weather across the state, there will be times of clouds and times of sun, uh, but partly cloudy throughout the day, possibly with a shower. Across the state, we'll see highs around 62 to 64 And tonight we'll see partly cloudy skies with lows in the 40s. Today, Tony Lace reports that Governor Kim Reynolds heads to to White House to brief President on Iowa's pandemic response. Governor Kim Reynolds will fly to Washington, D.C. this week to meet with President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence to discuss Iowa's response to the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, I'm going to give them an update on how we're doing in Iowa, Reynolds said at her daily news conference Tuesday. She said she would tell the nation's leaders how the state is using testing and contact tracing and how it is working with meatpacking plants to try to counter deadly outbreaks. The Republican governor said she would take a private plane to Washington and her campaign would cover the costs. Several other governors, including Democrats, have made similar White House visits recently to talk to the Republican president. Reynolds' planned Washington visit was first reported Tuesday morning by Politico, which said Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a fellow Republican, is also expected to make the trip. News of Reynolds' impending trip came on a day when she announced that a daily record of 19 more Iowans had died from COVID-19, bringing the statewide total to 207. The previous daily record day came last Wednesday, when Iowa reported 14 COVID-19 deaths. State officials on Tuesday also reported that 408 more people tested positive for coronavirus, bringing the total in Iowa to 10,111. Reynolds' press conference included confirmation from the Iowa Department of Public Health of manufacturing companies where more than 10% of workers have tested positive for the virus. They included meatpacking plants in Columbus Junction, Tama, Perry, and Waterloo, and a windmill factory in Newton. The highest percentage of infected workers was at the Tyson Pork Processing Plant in Perry, where 58% of tested workers had the virus, said Sarah Reisiter, Deputy Director of the Iowa Department of Public Health. Despite the rising death toll and infection numbers, Reynolds said she is optimistic. Quote, it's only going to get better, she said. I believe in Iowans. I trust Iowans to do the right thing. There's going to be a few outliers, as with anything, but together we're going to move through this and we're going to start to reopen our economy, get Iowans back to work, and we're going to get to the other side of this, end quote. In other top stories, Sarah K. LeBlanc and Katie Aiken of The Register report that Hy-Vee joins grocers limiting meat purchases due to a shortage of workers at packing plants. Hy-Vee is joining other grocery chains in limiting meat purchases at all locations starting Wednesday. The West Des Moines-based company announced in a news release Tuesday that customers will be limited to four packages of total fresh beef, ground pork, ground beef, pork, and chicken, either alone or in combination. 
The move is due to worker shortages at meat parking plants and an increase in meat sales, meaning customers may have difficulty finding specific products, the release stated. Sam's Club, the retail warehouse operated by Walmart, is limiting purchases of poultry, beef, lamb, and pork to one item of each per customer. Spokesperson Amy Wyatt told the Des Moines Register on Tuesday that the limits are in effect across all Sam's Club locations. Costco took a similar measure Monday, announcing that purchases of beef, pork, and poultry would be limited to three total items per member. Corporate representatives from Aldi and Price Chopper did not immediately respond to questions about whether they planned to take similar measures. Fairway officials declined to comment. Experts say so-called spot shortages of meat in grocery stores are likely, as American slaughterhouses process fewer animals and meatpacking plants become hotbeds for COVID-19 infections. Quote, I wouldn't say the food system is breaking, but at least the meat sector is in real serious critical condition at the moment. Jason Lusk, head of the Department of Agricultural Economics at Purdue University, has told USA Today, quote, the chances of there being limited availability have risen, and it's going to depend a lot on where you live, end quote. A report from CoBank, a bank focused on agribusiness and rural industries, suggests the lower production will lead to higher prices and less selection for customers. Quote, the declining meat production this April will likely lead to reduced grocery store supplies in May and June, the bank's May report says. Quote, grocery stores are likely already rationing their current meat supplies and will likely draw on meat supplies in cold storage over the next month, end quote. That could mean price increases of up to 20% compared with last year and as much as 30% less meat on store shelves, the bank predicts. And on the front page of today's Des Moines Register, Lee Rood's Reader's Watchdog column reports UI Hospital conducts trials of COVID-19 drug. Hospitals across Iowa would like to have access to remdesivir, the drug appeared approved last week by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for emergency use in treating symptoms associated with COVID-19. But so far, University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics is the only one in the state treating patients with the intravenous antiviral drug. That's because UIHC applied early to join clinical trials taking place in hospitals around the world. Since March 31st, 25 patients there have received the treatment, according to Dr. Dilek Inse, a UIHC infectious disease specialist. Most had severe cases of COVID-19, and one died, Inse said, but, quote, we don't think the drug had anything to do with his death. He wasn't on the medication too long. He was a severe case and very sick, end quote. Last week's move by the FDA paves the way for the distribution of 1.5 million vials of remdesivir, which were donated by its manufacturer, Heriad Sciences. That amount is sufficient for 100,000 to 200,000 treatment courses, depending on how long trip patients take it. In early results from a trial sponsored by the National Institutes of Health, remdesivir was found to speed up recovery of patients with severe COVID-19 but it had no statistically significant effect on whether patients died. There have been no announcements about any Iowa hospitals likely to receive the emergency supply of the antiviral drug. But Brian Benson, executive director of the pharmacy at Unity Point Health, said Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines has completed enrollment as a trial site for use of the drug and will soon join the next phase. Quote, the distribution and logistics of the drug's use are changing rapidly, he said. Remdesivir is given only by transfusion in hospitals and not available in pill form, which is why it can't be given to patients in home settings. So far, Gilead has found hospitalized patients with the disease who get a five-day treatment with the drug experience recovery similar to those who get a 10-day course, signaling hope that more patients can be treated during the pandemic. As of Monday afternoon, 130 patients overall had been treated for COVID-19 at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. The 25 chosen for the remdesivir trials were divided into two groups, one of patients with moderate symptoms and the other comprising those with severe symptoms. To participate in the trials, patients must be considered sick enough with COVID-19 to be admitted to the hospital and have had their lungs affected by the disease. Those with kidney or liver disease are ruled out, as are pregnant or breastfeeding patients and children under 12. Insay said some patients also choose not to participate. Quote, all in all, most patients feel very fortunate when they are offered the option of participating in the trials, she said. 
but as in any clinical trial, some don't want to participate. They don't want any experimental treatment, end quote. Insay and Dr. Mark Brownlee, UIHC's chief pharmacy officer, said that because remdesivir's outcomes looked promising, UIHC contacted Gilead to become part of the trials before it was actually treating patients with COVID-19. Several other Iowa hospitals have since asked if they could be satellites in UIHC's research, but that wasn't possible, they said. UIHC's data is being entered into a database with those from other sites to evaluate clinical outcomes. Quote, some patients improve, but it's difficult to know if they would have improved if they weren't involved in the trial, Insay said. On CBS's Face the Nation over the weekend, Gilead CEO and Chairman Daniel O'Day said, quote, We intend to get remdesivir to patients in the early part of this next week, beginning to work with the government, which will determine which cities are most vulnerable and where the patients are that need this medicine, end quote. After distributing its existing supply of the drug, Gilead is expecting to produce 140,000 vials by the end of this month and 1 million vials by December. Today's front page of the Register also includes a story by Tyler J. Davis of the Register titled, Mom Tells of Suicide Victims Suffering. The Ankeny man who fired shots at multiple vehicles and then fatally shot himself outside a West Des Moines convenience store last month had gone to seek help at a mental health facility that same day, his mother says. When Robert Belshi began firing his gun, he did not want to harm anyone. He just wanted someone to listen, said his mother, Deborah Belshi. Her son missed his daughter and worried that people were trying to kill him, his mother said. Quote, he was just fearing for his life, she said. He just wanted help, end quote. Mother and son had set out in separate vehicles to head to a West Des Moines facility in search of treatment, but he got lost, she said. Robert Belshi, age 25, died April 16th. No one else was injured in the incident. He had grown increasingly paranoid that week following a divorce and custody disagreements with his ex-wife's family, his mother said. Those who know Belshi said he would be remembered for more than his final days. He was a talented and dedicated iron worker who spent his free time working on his truck. A doting father, he craved love and attention and showered those around him with both, his first wife and mother said. He was married two times and has one child from his second marriage. Quote, Robert was an amazing, loving person, said Robert Belshi's first wife, Victoria Belshi, always cared about others and making them happy before making himself happy, end quote. Belshi hadn't lived in Iowa long term, but always found his way back. He was born in Cedar Rapids, and his family stayed there for about a year before its patriarch, Jimmy Belshi, relocated as part of his job as a construction worker. The Belshis lived in Florida, Texas, and Missouri. They returned to live in Grimes for a time. After Robert reached adulthood, Deborah and Jimmy Belshi, along with their younger son Scott, moved to Ankeny. Robert Belshi spent his high school years in Florida, where he met Victoria. The two attended high school together in Palm Springs. Quote, he was always laughing and smiling, making jokes, Victoria said. He was my best friend, end quote. After graduating, Belshi began doing ironwork, a craft his loved ones say he was very proud of. Robert and Victoria married in 2015, but divorced within two years. Victoria said she grew close to the Belshis over the couple's five years together. Robert Belshi married again and had a daughter. He battled drug addiction, his mother said, but had been clean about three months before his death. His second marriage failed after he and his ex-wife argued about their daughter's living arrangements, his mother said. Last month, he reached out to Victoria Belshi via Facebook for comfort. She has a family of her own, but was happy to reconnect with her so-called first love. Quote, Robert was trying to fix himself, Victoria Belshi said. He just wanted to be a father. Quote, but he said he, w- he was told he couldn't see his daughter anymore. Quote, he was very upset with it. He was lost. End quote. Robert stopped writing Victoria back about three days before his death, she said. At that same time, Deborah Belshi started noticing changes in her son. Robert Belshi had never shown signs of paranoia before April 2020, his mother said, but in the four days leading up to his death, he was sure someone was following him. On April 15th, the problem worsened, she said. He was peering out of windows and telling his family very specific details about how he was in danger. When he came home in a panic, April 16th, Deborah Belshi told him they should go get help. She took him to Broadlawn's Medical Center for a mental health evaluation, but he couldn't bring himself to go inside. 
The mother and son returned home, and Deborah tried to find other resources for her oldest child. She found a West Des Moines facility where she thought he could get help. Quote, then he wouldn't get in the truck with me, she said. He goes, I'm going to take my own truck. I said, okay, I found a place. Let's go. Near Sailorville, while en route to West Des Moines from their Ankeny home, Deborah Bell, she realized her son was no longer behind her. She called him, and he said he wasn't sure where he was because he was not familiar with the area. She told him to use his GPS to go back home and meet her there. Quote, he was not freaking out or anything like that, just real calm, Deborah Bell, she said. He goes, okay, Mom, we said I love you, and that was the end of our call, end quote. She returned home and texted her son, but did not get an answer. Soon, Ankeny police showed up at her door. They relayed a message from police in West Des Moines. Her son was shot. Deborah said she waited nearly two hours to learn where her son was and if he was alive. Quote, I miss him so much I can't stand it, she said. He was such a good person. He had such a good heart, end quote. Deborah Belshi said Robert never expressed a desire to harm himself or others, but she wonders often if she could have done more to prevent her son's death. Quote, I just keep reliving scenarios, she said. If I wouldn't have let him get in his truck, you know, or would have hogtied him and kept him in the house and not let him go anywhere by himself, end quote. The Belshas made the right choice, going to the Broadlawns earlier in the day, behavioral health advocates say, but it's not easy to help someone through a mental health situation if they have never been through the process before, said Steve Johnson, Broadlawn's Behavioral Health Administrator. Quote, suicide comes from a variety of areas, and some of those can be sudden and spur of the moment, and other times it can be planned and part of depression, Johnson said. We encourage people to reach out to the police or sheriff, reach out to the crisis line, because trying to bring someone in to seek mental health treatment is hard. He might have been scared of the unknown and not know what he was getting into, end quote. Broadlawns also works with the Des Moines Police and other Metro Police Departments to provide a so-called mobile crisis unit that assists in times of mental health issues. Other mental health resources can be found at the National Alliance on Mental Health's website or the American Psychological Association's website. There, people can find out what to look for in someone who may be experiencing mental health or substance abuse issues. NAMI Iowa has programs tailored for those dealing with loved one suicide. Quote, normally there are signs, but not always, and not everyone knows what to look for, said Peggy Huppert, executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Illnesses Iowa chapter. Quote, that's not unusual because you're not expecting it, end quote. In other top stories, coronavirus infects more than 1,600 workers at four Iowa meatpacking plants. More than 1,600 workers at four Iowa meatpacking plants have been infected with the coronavirus, state health officials reported Tuesday. The worst hit factory is the Tyson Pork Processing Plant in Perry, where 730 workers tested positive for the virus, the Iowa Department of Public Health reported. That means that 58% of the workers who were tested at the plant had the virus. Deputy Public Health Department Director Sarah Reisiter said at the state's daily news conference about the pandemic. Reisiter also reported outbreak numbers for two other Tyson meatpacking plants. The plant in Waterloo had 444 workers test positive, which was 17% of those tested. The one in Columbus Junction has 221 testing positive, which was 26% of those tested. At the Iowa Premium Beef Plant in Tama, 258 workers tested positive, which was 39% of those tested, she said. In addition, Reisiter announced that 131 workers of the TPI Incorporated wind turbine plant in Newton have tested positive for the virus, which was 13% of those tested. Reisiter said her department has decided to report publicly when manufacturing plants have more than 10% absenteeism because of outbreaks of the disease. Meatpacking plants have been at the center of several COVID-19 outbreaks around Iowa and the nation this spring. Workers in the plants stand close together all day and critics say the companies did a poor job of protecting them from the virus's spread. The companies say they're trying to protect workers while continue to produce food that Americans rely on. Tyson temporarily closed the Perry plant late last month for so-called deep cleaning because of the outbreak. Perry is in Dallas County, which has seen 613 confirmed coronavirus infections and three deaths, according to the state data released on Tuesday. That's fewer infections than Reisiter reported Tuesday just from the Tyson plant. 
A department spokeswoman later explained that cases are reported based on the county that each person lives in. Some workers at the Tyson plant in Perry live in other counties, including Polk County next door. The Tyson packing plant in Waterloo remains shuttered because of the outbreak, although the Columbus Junction plant reopened with so-called limited operations after an April 6th closure. The Iowa Premium Beef Plant in Tama has also reopened after a closure. Tyson spokesman Gary Mickelson said Tuesday that the company's Perry plant reopened this week after a pause to test workers, clean the facility, and install protective equipment. Quote, the health and safety of our team members is our top priority, and we take this responsibility extremely seriously, Mickelson wrote. Quote, we are conducting testing of team members and will not hesitate to idle any plant for additional deep cleaning and sanitization. All team members returning to work at our facilities have been tested and any employee who has tested positive will remain on sick leave until they are released by health officials to return to work. We have implemented enhanced safety protocols to help ensure our efforts meet or exceed local, state, and federal guidelines, end quote. Governor Kim Reynolds has repeatedly said the meatpacking companies are making good-faith efforts to protect their workers. She has resisted calls to close the plants, saying they provide crucial food for consumers and markets for farmers. Quote, we've tried to be a partner throughout this entire COVID pandemic, working with our processing plants, because it is critical infrastructure and they are essential workers, the Republican governor said last week. And we need to make sure that we can keep them up and running to keep the nation's food supply flowing, end quote. State Auditor Rob Sand, a Democrat, has called on state authorities to release infection statistics about outbreaks at plants, saying federal patient privacy laws don't apply to such reports. Quote, I am glad to see packing plants outbreak public, but disappointed it took weeks after I called for it and nine days after we issued an official advisory, he said in a media statement Tuesday. Michael Rollins of the Register reports Indianola bike night events canceled. Those who mark the summer months by the roar of motorcycle engines on the Indianola Square will find silent streets after the monthly bike night rallies were recently canceled to help prevent the spread of novel coronavirus. Quote, out of concern for the safety of all the riders, participants, patrons, staff, volunteers, vendors, and groups, we have made the very difficult decision to cancel the 2020 Indianola bike night season, organizers said on the group's Facebook page. The first Indianola bike night was scheduled for May 15th, with monthly gatherings planned through September. Quote, the Indianola bike night team, after careful consideration, knows it would be nearly impossible to manage the large crowds that gather for bike night and continue to abide by the mandated guidelines, the statement says. Bike night events typically draw thousands of motorcycle riders and bike fans from across central Iowa to the Indianola Square to rub elbows. Bike night joins other Indianola summer events, such as the Des Moines Metro Opera season and the National Balloon Classic that have been canceled due to the virus. Brenda Easter, the president and CEO of the Indianola Chamber of Commerce, said canceling these summer events will be a blow both socially and economically for the city, but putting the safety of the community first is the right thing to do. Quote, it's hard to replace lost revenue when our events cancel due to the unprecedented pandemic crisis, Easter said. Yet I think everyone would agree, above all, it's important to keep people safe. It's difficult to host large events and manage the social distancing and other guidelines in place to ensure people's safety. End quote. The Indianola Chamber of Commerce is still hoping to host its annual summer concert series, even though the first show scheduled for June 5th has been postponed, Easter said. And Kim Norville of The Register reports Drake Park Shelter to be enclosed for use as year-round event space. An 86-year-old shelter at Drake Park in Des Moines is undergoing a renovation to become a year-round events and assembly space. The shelter, originally constructed in 1934 as changing rooms for the adjoining waiting pool, was designed by a local was designated a local landmark by the city's landmark review board on Tuesday. It will undergo a $765,000 renovation and expansion from the city's Parks and Recreation Department later this year and reopen as the event space in the summer of 2021. The shelter, located within Drake Park between 23rd and 24th Streets and north of Cottage Grove Avenue, will hold up to 75 people and will be available for rent. In 1984, the 1,200-square-foot foot shelter 
was converted from its original boys and girls dressing rooms into an open air shelter with restrooms as it stands today. Architects will enclose the open air space with large windows so event goers can see and, quote, engage with the park, said Ron Walker, architect with RDG Planning and Design. The existing restrooms will be removed to provide a larger event area, and a new restroom building will be added. A donor is working with the city's Parks and Recreation Department to upgrade the Drake Park waiting pool, said Mark Dingy's assistant city architect. The shelter will keep its Works Progress Administration style of design, which consists of limestone walls and heavy support timbers. Other shelters in this style at Greenwood, McRae, and Columbus Parks have been renovated and enclosed by the city's Parks and Recreation Department. And in other local news, Tyler J. Davis of the Register reports family left wondering how teen died. Body of 18-year-old missing three months found in Des Moines River Saturday. The discovery of Abdullahi Abdi Sharif's body this weekend may have closed a chapter in the Des Moines teenager's life, but his story is not over. Sharif had been missing more than three months when a kayaker discovered his body Saturday in the Des Moines River. His family says finding him has given them some peace of mind, but questions linger about what what led up to his death and why a young man afraid of water would be found in one of Iowa's largest rivers. Quote, Abdullahi never liked water. He ended up in the water, and we don't know what happened, Sharif's uncle, Ahmed Hashi, said Tuesday. Quote, there's so many questions that need to be answered, end quote. State Representative Akko Abdul Samad, who has helped guide the family through the investigation process, said if someone in the community can fill in the blanks of what happened between 5.30 p.m. January 17th, when Sarif was last seen, and when he ended up in the water, they need to come forward. Quote, we have closure on one end, but we have a whole gate that opened on another, Abdul Samad said. Now we have closure on this end, We also need to have closure on the other end of why and how and who was involved, end quote. Sharif's autopsy results are pending, according to the Polk County Medical Examiner. A cause of death has not been determined. Police say there were no obvious signs of trauma when Sharif's body was found, and the investigation continues. Abdul Samad said he does not know if any violence led to Sharif's death, but the family is not ruling anything out. They hired private investigator Stephanie Kinney, to assist in the search, and she will continue investigating his death. Sharif is remembered as a mature, goal-oriented teen with dreams of becoming a computer engineer, an accomplishment he believed could uplift his family and bring pride to fellow Somalis everywhere. He was like a father figure in his home, though he wasn't the oldest sibling. His family came to Des Moines from Massachusetts after immigrating there in 2006, his mother, Fadumo Ahmed, said. Sharif spent about half his life in central Iowa. This was home, his family said. Quote, Abdullahi was very happy at home and a loving boy, Hashi, age 34, said. He had a loving family, the biggest smile. We miss that part, end quote. A memorial and burial were planned for 5 p.m. Tuesday at the Islamic and Cultural Center Bosniak in Granger. Only 10 people were allowed inside the cultural center at a time due to concerns about the spread of the coronavirus. Hundreds would show up for the Roosevelt High School senior if the funeral were public, Abdul Samad said. He said he's been brought to tears by stories of Sharif's acquaintances told. At 5 p.m. Wednesday, a memorial, including a balloon release, will be held at a location to be determined, the family said. They're looking for places with enough space to house dozens of cars so they can adhere to social distancing guidelines. Sharif was last seen on video surveillance around 5.30 p.m. January 17th, walking out of the Target store, 5901 Douglas Avenue, where he worked. He was also captured on video walking through the nearby AT&T parking lot. Cell towers last pinged his cell phone January 17th, near a bridge along Euclid Avenue over the Des Moines River, Sergeant Paul Perizek said Monday. The phone was shut off shortly after he went missing. Quote, we all are not happy. We lost our son, Hashi said. Not only my family, but all of the Des Moines area lost a kid that could be our future, end quote. The family is still encouraging the public to come forward with tips. Those with information are encouraged to contact Des Moines police and Kinney, the private investigator. Even if the missing person search is over, they don't want Sharif to be forgotten. Quote, it's Ramadan. I had been praying for an answer, even if it's a body, his sister Ifra Muhammad said. At least we can bury him. End quote.
In local news, Charles Flesher reports that a boil advisory issued in southwest Polk County. A boil advisory has been issued for an area near Walnut Woods State Park in southwest Polk County. A power loss Saturday night caused a drop in water pressure, which can allow bacteria to enter the water system, according to a news release from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. The boil advisory affects Walnut Woods State Park and people living in the Shiflin Estates, Bonnie Lee Acres, Julian Estates, Sylvan Rill, and Sunset Heights housing developments, the release said. Residents in those areas should boil water used for drinking, making ice, brushing teeth, or preparing food. Tap water can be used for bathing, the release said. And the Film Society is looking to reopen the city's iconic Varsity Theater. This is a story by Kim Norvell of The Register. The Varsity Theater, a beloved one-screen movie theater in Des Moines' Drake neighborhood, will undergo renovation and reopen as the Varsity Cinema, a modern cinema and film center, the Des Moines Film Society announced Monday. The nonprofit organization's announcement coincides with an effort to designate the now-closed movie house a Des Moines landmark, a move the city's landmark review board preliminarily approved Tuesday. Des Moines City Council will make a final decision. The designation would allow the Des Moines Film Society to apply for state historic tax credits to renovate the 103-year-old building. It plans to modernize and reconfigure the lobby to make room for events and community space, make the building wheelchair accessible, and create a second so-called micro-cinema on the second floor, which now serves as storage, said Ben Godard, Des Moines Film Society board president. Quote, we want to restore and preserve the historic integrity of the building. That's very important to us, he said. The Varsity Cinema will serve as the organization's venue. It plans to screen first-run foreign and independent films, host series programming and genre retrospectives, and partner with local organizations for film screenings and other events. Godar said the society, which formed about four years ago, holds events aimed at, quote, growing the film culture in Des Moines, end quote, such as meet-and-greets with filmmakers and silent movie screenings with a live orchestra. But that can be a challenge for a group without its own established venue. Quote, on the one hand, we want to be sure to preserve it as the last historic theater in Des Moines, Godar said, but then as a film arts organization to be able to operate out of a venue that has been an art house cinema for a very long time. The two things dovetailed really well, end quote. The theater has been a Drake neighborhood staple since opening on Christmas Day, 1938. It is known as, quote, the longest-serving, single-screen, independently-owned Des Moines suburban movie house, according to its landmark nomination form, which details its history. The building at 1207 25th Street was first constructed as an auto garage in 1917 and served as a mess hall and canteen for Drake University's Student Army Training Corps during World War I. It later served as a Coca-Cola bottling plant. Twenty-one years later, it was converted into a one-screen cinema by Elias Garbett and his son, who developed a small chain of local movie houses. They purchased the original Varsity Theater, housed next door, where Great Clips now stands, from another operator in early 1933. It was the first true suburban movie house in Des Moines. In 1954, B.C. Mahan bought the facility with Bob Friedley, whose company still owns theaters across Iowa. Mahan took over sole ownership in 1975, operating the cinema until his death in 2009. Under his ownership, the Varsity Theater was known for films that were seen nowhere else in town. In the 1960s, Mahan began to focus more heavily on independent and foreign films, and the Varsity became labeled as a so-called art house theater. Denise Mahan took over the theater after her father's death. She closed it upon her retirement on December 30, 2018. She plans to sell the 5,000-square-foot theater to the Des Moines Film Society for an undisclosed price. It most recently was valued at 199000 according to the Polk County Assessor. The Des Moines Film Society plans to announce a capital campaign to raise funds for the project later this year. A total investment has not been announced. Godar said construction is expected to start later this year, with an anticipated opening in spring 2021, presumably long after the lifting of coronavirus restrictions that have shut down Iowa's theaters. The plan for the iconic theater is just one of several projects in the constantly evolving Drake neighborhood, also known as Dogtown. 
Drake University is selling land it owns surrounding the theater on the block between 24th and 25th Streets from University to Forest Avenues for a $63 million development slated to include apartments, townhomes, and commercial retail space. A five-story, 86,300-square-foot home-to-suites extended-stay hotel by Hilton is under construction between 26th and 27th Streets along University Avenue. Next door, Nelson Development plans to construct a 135-unit apartment building with ground-floor retail. There are also new buildings for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Central Iowa, Drake's Harkin Institute for Public Policy and Citizen Engagement, and Comago, and streetscape improvements along University Avenue. Most of the land had been owned by Drake University and is part of its long-term plan to redevelop the area surrounding the Des Moines campus. Quote, the reopening of the historic Varsity Theater is essential to the ongoing vitality of Dogtown, Ryan Arnold, Drake's Director of Community Engagement, said in a statement. Quote, Many generations of Bulldogs have enjoyed having a theater next to campus, and we are excited at the prospect of a long-term partnership with the Des Moines Film Society for the continued appreciation of cinematic arts in Des Moines. End quote. Tyler Jett of the... Register reports Iowa AG calling for probe of beef prices. Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller joined other state attorneys general in calling Tuesday for a federal investigation into suspected price fixing among beef processors. In a letter to the U.S. Attorney General William Barr, Miller and the top prosecutors from nine other states asked the U.S. Department of Justice to look into whether the country's biggest beef processors are colluding against cattle ranchers and consumers. The attorneys general have said the price of boxed beef remains, quote, healthy, even as cattle futures have dropped. Cargill, JBS USA, National Beef, and Tyson Foods account for about 80% of beef processing in the United States. Quote, given the concentrated market structure of the beef industry, it may be particularly susceptible to market manipulation, particularly during times of food insecurity, such as the current COVID-19 crisis, the attorneys general wrote. Miller's counterparts from Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Maine, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming also signed the letter. U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, in March also called for an investigation by the Justice and Agricultural Departments, saying Iowa farmers had seen the prices that processors were paying for, for their beef quote, plummet, even while, quote, beef is flying off grocery shelves, end quote. U.S. Senator Mike Rounds, a Republican from South Dakota, also had asked for an investigation. Liz Croston, a Tyson Foods spokeswoman, said at the time that while retail beef demand was up, orders from food service customers, such as restaurants, were at a standstill. And Tyler Davis reports in the register that a man who broke TV station's camera is sought. Police officers in the Quad Cities are looking for a man alleged to have broken a TV station's news camera. A story published Monday by WQAD-TV, the ABC affiliate along the Illinois-Iowa border near Moline, says a man became angry with a photographer filming a location Friday in Rock Island, Illinois, and attacked the camera operator. Quote, working on a story, the photographer was getting footage of several local businesses in the area from the sidewalk, the story reads. That's when a man approached him in a parking lot, expressing anger that he may have been filmed by driving by, end quote. The unidentified man took the employee's hat and camera before smashing the piece of equipment on the ground, WQAD reports. Rock Island police are searching for a man who allegedly broke the camera about 5 p.m. Friday near 38th Street and 18th Avenue in the city, according to a police sergeant who spoke with the register Monday evening. He said he could not confirm who owned the camera. An arrest has not been made as of Monday evening. Anyone with information is encouraged to call the Rock Island Police Department at 309-732-2677. Returning to Des Moines News, Charles Flesher of the Register reports Des Moines schools open door to live graduations after online petition. Des Moines Public Schools has opened the door to in-person graduation ceremonies after previously saying that ceremonies would be held online to reduce the potential spread of novel coronavirus. Quote, I very much want us to have in-person live graduation where our students can walk across the stage and be recognized for their accomplishments, Superintendent Tom Ahart said during Tuesday night's school board meeting. A final decision on live graduations has not yet been made, 
Quote, but we're trying, Ahart said. Des Moines schools announced last week that it would hold virtual graduation ceremonies in June, a decision that prompted Des Moines parent Unis Ceballos to start a Change.com petition calling for live graduations that has garnered more than 1,600 signatures. Quote, wow, that would be awesome, Ceballos said Tuesday night when contacted by a reporter. It's pretty important to us, she said. Quote, this is a milestone and a memory they can never get again, and it's just really important to us to celebrate them and acknowledge all of their accomplishments and acknowledge everything that they have worked for all these years, end quote. Sabalos' daughter, Iriana Sabalos, is a senior at Lincoln. She will be the third child from the family to graduate high school. The younger Sabalos is headed to the University of Northern Iowa next fall to study teaching. Ahart said the district's earlier decision to hold graduations online was a result of not wanting to set expectations too high that it could not guarantee. Quote, I have been the wet blanket, Ahart said. Quote, we have a team that very much wants to honor, as appropriately as it is physically possible under these conditions, the accomplishments and the hard work and arduous journey that so many of our seniors this year have undergone to get to this point. End quote. Several districts in the Des Moines metro, including Ankeny and West Des Moines, have announced plans to hold in-person graduations this summer. Many have set dates toward the end of June, with alternative dates in late July, in case the earlier date must be postponed due to the virus. Des Moines is considering a similar approach, with ceremonies held at high school stadiums where social distancing restrictions would be more easily met. Quote, we don't want to be a party to putting folks at risk, but at the same time, we want to appropriately recognize the accomplishments of this class of 2020, Ahart said. The superintendent said additional information about graduation plans would be set, sent to families this week. In local news, Lee Rood of the Register reports Polk County foregoes tax cut as pandemic hobbles horse racing other revenue sources. Before the COVID-19 pandemic hit, Polk County supervisors were mulling whether they could lower the county's property tax levy next year. But without millions of dollars coming in from county-owned facilities such as the Prairie Meadows Racetrack and Casino and the Iowa Events Center, both shut down because of the COVID-19 pandemic, those leading the state's most populous county are being forced to budget differently. A $200 million 2021 budget approved Tuesday by the five supervisors keeps the county's levy the same as in 2020 fiscal year that ends in July. It focuses revenue on existing projects and continuing to prop up hard-hit nonprofits trying to serve the county's hungry, mentally ill, and financially destitute. Quote, the budget that we're approving is based upon our best guess as to where we think we will end up, Chairman Matt McCoy, but there are a lot of unknowns right now, end quote. With many large sporting events, concerts, and conventions canceled at Wells Fargo Arena and Hy-Vee Hall, the company that runs the Iowa Events Center, Spectrum Management, will be keeping profits from the first quarter of this year to sustain operations in the third quarter. Typically, a portion of the profits from events at the county-owned Iowa Events Center would flow back to the county, but the Events Center will lose about $700,000 to $800,000 in revenues because of cancellations this spring and summer. Chris Connolly, general manager of the Iowa Events Center, said many big acts who were forced to cancel because of the pandemic, such as Elton John, Michael Bublé, and Cher, are rescheduling, but not until next year. All sports scheduled at the Events Center for the fiscal year that ends in July have been postponed, but convention business is likely to return in the latter part of the year. Quote, we had a very, very strong year last fiscal year, so we're very lucky, Connolly said. We're not going to hit the numbers that we usually hit, but we're not losing a lot of money, end quote. Layoffs of 1,130 employees at Prairie Meadows in Altoona, which has been closed since March 16th, began Sunday. That also will affect the county's bottom line in 2021. Prairie Meadows CEO Gary Palmer has not announced whether horses will run this year at the racetrack, but that's looking doubtful. Quote, as long as these positive COVID-19 numbers keep going up, it doesn't make sense to me, Palmer said. My worst nightmare is reopening and then having to shut down all over again, end quote. Some in the horse trade have threatened legal action if they don't get their purse money this year, Palmer acknowledged. Under Iowa law, purses at the racetrack are supposed to be funded by 11% of gross receipts from the previous year's casino gambling. This year, the amount budgeted for 67 days of thoroughbred racing and 26 of quarter horse racing, as well as a mixed meet, 
was $21.7 million. But Palmer said horsemen come from across the country to race, which poses additional health risks to employees and the public. Simulcasting doesn't make sense because other tracks remain closed, as does the casino. Even if Governor Kim Reynolds were to reopen the whole state by mid-May, the track and the casino still would not be safe for patrons or workers, Palmer said. Unclear is whether the state will go through a second wave of coronavirus, which experts have said could be worse than the first. Quote, we've been called every name there is plus other things, but this pandemic is not up to me, Palmer said. Prairie Meadows loses roughly $800,000 to $1 million every day it stays closed. Under its agreement with Polk County, it is still required to pay $1.4 million a month in rent. But it also is required to give the county 5% of its gross revenue in a profit-sharing agreement, and that margin will be thin heading into next fiscal year. Polk County uses rent payments from Prairie Meadows to make bond payments on existing programs, and the supervisors typically use the gambling proceeds to award community betterment grants, large and small, to a mix of organizations. Many events the county helps fund, such as high school graduation parties, have been canceled. Supervisors plan to use what's left to help the residents hit hardest by the pandemic. They say charitable contributions to nonprofits aiding the country's the county's neediest residents have dried up, and many receive no stimulus money. Supervisor Robert Brownell said food banks, refugee organizations, and those serving people with disabilities need the county's help. Quote, I'm not saying cultural festivals and events aren't important, but we need to prioritize right now, he said. While the county is stretched, it does have reserves and should weather the 2021 fiscal year better than many, he said. Brianne Fonenstiel of The Register reports Mike Pence to visit Des Moines Friday to discuss the coronavirus with faith and food supply leaders. Vice President Mike Pence will travel to Des Moines on Friday to participate in discussions related to the coronavirus pandemic. According to a news release, Pence will meet with faith leaders to discuss reopening religious services to the public. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds, a Republican, announced last week she would lift restrictions on religious gatherings and allow services to be held across the state as long as they observe social distancing guidelines and increase sanitation efforts. Pence also will visit Hy-Vee's headquarters to hold a roundtable discussion about securing the nation's food supply. The company, which is based in West Des Moines, announced Tuesday that it will impose sales limits on meat products at its stores. In a news release, the company cited worker shortages at meatpacking plants and increased demand. Iowa is home to multiple meatpacking plants that have been hit hard by the coronavirus, with outbreaks prompting closures and disrupting the nation's food supply chain. President Donald Trump signed an executive order that said meat processing plants are part of the nation's critical infrastructure. Pence will return to Washington, D.C. on Friday evening. Separately, Reynolds said Tuesday she would travel to meet with the president and vice president at the White House this week. Quote, I'm going to give them an update on how we're doing in Iowa, Reynolds said at her daily news conference Tuesday. She said she would tell the nation's leaders how the state is using testing and contact tracing and how it is working with meatpacking plants to try to counter deadly outbreaks. Then back, back in Des Moines, Austin Cannon of the Register reports, Des Moines freezes issuance of street permits until July pushing back Farmer's Market Opening, Downtown Art Festival. Des Moines will freeze the issuance of permits for events on city property until at least July 1st because of the coronavirus pandemic, a city news release said Tuesday. The action will delay the start of the in-person Downtown Des Moines Farmer's Market and force the delay or cancellation of the annual Des Moines Art Festival, which was scheduled for June 26th through 28th in the Downtown Western Gateway area. Stephen King, the festival's executive director, said the festival board won't make a decision on delaying or canceling the event until next week at the earliest. Quote, it's heartbreaking, he said. I don't think there's any way around it, end quote. No permits will be issued for events on city streets or the city's right-of-way during that time, Mayor Frank County said. He noted the significant uptick in COVID-19 cases in Polk County over the past week as justification from 813 cases to 1,778. Quote, We're not quite sure when that peak's going to occur, he told the Register. The closure for city administrative buildings, including City Hall, was also extended to June 15th. They initially closed on March 17th. On Saturday, farmers' market organizers rang in their first virtual market online 
a temporary replacement for the real thing. Last week, County had envisioned a possible return of the farmer's market at an unspecified date with fewer people and exclusively produce vendors. The art festival features 180 artists. So far, about 600 similar events around the country have been canceled because of the pandemic, King said. It's had a devastating effect on artists who depend on the festivals for income. Quote, this is what they rely on, he said. County said he wants small businesses and entrepreneurs to succeed, but he's charged with the safety of Des Moines employees and residents. Quote, staying alive is the most important thing, he said. In other local news, Sarah K. LeBlanc of the Register reports Six-Foot Social Project offers stock boxes with products from area businesses. As a business owner, Emily Evers knows the days are difficult. She spent time worrying about the fate of her Ankeny store, the parlor. She's cried, and she's convinced herself she will make it through. Now she is focused on helping others in the same situation. With the assistance of friends and fellow business owners in the Des Moines area, Evers came up with the Six-Foot Social Project as to help as many businesses as possible advertise their shops and their products. The Six-Foot Social Project is a collaboration between businesses in the Des Moines area and across Iowa to advertise their products while providing samples to customers. On the project's website, customers can choose between three stock boxes, which include a variety of items from different businesses. The boxes are themed, such as a teacher box, a Mother's Day box, and a box for seniors. More than 25 businesses are contributing products to help Evers fill the boxes. And each box, even if it's the same theme, is different, she said, because not every box gets the same items from the same vendor. With some help, Evers established the project's website in mid-April. Within three days of releasing the first product, a quarantine box, the site was sold out. Since then, Evers has put together several more stock boxes with the help of several businesses. The concept, she said, is to give customers something to feel good about, buying because they're supporting several small businesses at once. For businesses, the boxes are an opportunity to advertise to a wide market and give an example of the products they offer. Quote, it's to give them a way to market their business and advertise at a very minimal cost, she said. Quote, it's an organic advertising possibility, end quote. Without spoiling the surprise of opening a new box, Evers said past boxes have included offerings such as sprinkles, koozies, greeting cards, stickers, face masks, prints, certificates, and earrings. Shelley Gibson, who co-owns the Carol Shop Blush Boutique with her daughter Chelsea, said they have contributed cocktail mixes, gift cards, and coupons. She said a former co-worker told her about the idea, and she jumped on the chance for her businesses to be included. Quote, as a small business, you're always working to get your name out there in different forms, and we thought this was great, she said. More boxes are being added, such as a graduation box that Evers estimates will be shipped out in late May. Even after lockdown restrictions ease, she said she still plans to come up with more boxes and continue the project. Quote, our hope is that this is something we can continue to grow, she said, end quote. And the website for the Six-Foot Social Project can be found at theparlorpage.com. That's theparlor, P-A-R-L-O-U-R, page.com, backslash six-foot-social-project. And in education news, Charles Flesher of the Register reports Iowa K-12 schools receive $71.6 million in federal coronavirus stimulus money. Iowa K-12 schools will receive $71.6 million in federal money to cover some of the unexpected costs related to the coronavirus pandemic. Ann Lebo, director of the Iowa Department of Education, made the announcement Tuesday during a press conference with Governor Kim Reynolds. Quote, every one of Iowa's 327 school districts will receive an allocation of these funds to address COVID-19-related needs at their schools, including online learning support, professional development, educational technology, mental health services, and services to support students with disabilities, Lebo said. The money will come from the Federal Coronavirus Act Relief and Economic Security Act, which included $30.75 billion in K-12 education and higher education funding. Quote, 90% of the $71.6 million will go directly to school districts, 
which will use a portion of the funds to provide services to non-public schools in their areas, Lebo said. Quote, the remaining funds will be used for state-level educational efforts to address urgent issues caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. End quote. And that does it for the first hour of the Register on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Up next, we'll give a shout-out to all our listeners who are celebrating a birthday today. I'm your reader, Paula Carezzi. Thanks for listening.